0: You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Times have changed and have left men conflicted and confused. Some men wander around in a manhood fog. Some men have found a manhood that works, and a manhood that truly works is life-giving. People are encouraged by it. Women and wives feel safe and valued around it. Families thrive with it. Sons are drawn to it, daughters delight in it, and the workplace and community benefit because of it. That life-giving manhood is what we're seeking at Better Man, and you're listening to Mark Matlock and Robert Lewis on the Better Man Podcast. Welcome. So Robert, we want to talk about a life-giving manhood today. That's why we launched Better Man, is to help men get out of that fog, out of that slump, and really experiencing life-giving manhood. Mm. And we want to activate men to live into that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of components to that. But you know, there are a lot of men that go, I think I'm okay with my manhood. Or they're frustrated. They don't even know it. What is life-giving manhood? What's your experience been as you've been kind of pursuing this mm-hmm. for several decades?
1: Well, the journey is to somehow reduce manhood down into something that men can easily grasp and implement in their own life.
0: That's good. I need that. I yeah. need it easy. I need it simple. <laughs> that's right. I need to be able to stick it on my refrigerator. That, my you know what? At home.
1: And let me tell you, that that that's that's important because that is profound. It's hard to pass along to your son something you can't explain in a simple sound bite. And I think when I started my journey into this um manhood experience to try to make sense of it for myself and for other men. One of the sticking points in all of that was it was very hard to get your arms wrapped around this massive concept called manhood. It didn't seem like something you could wrestle to the ground in a simple way. So for a couple of years, when I started working with men who had asked me to help them come together and better define their own manhood. And I found out I couldn't really answer that well. For the next couple of years, that's what I worked on. How do you go at this in a way that it can be simple and transferable? And, you know, it's funny how, and you've probably had this, where after you've thought about it a long time, all of a sudden something just clicks. And what clicked for me was that, well, if I wanted to know what a man was, why wouldn't I go back to the beginning of the Bible when God created the first man? I mean, he was named Adam. It's uh, a Hebrew word for man. And uh, look at how God defined it there. So by going into Genesis and looking at the Genesis story and feeling that story and looking for handles, what started emerging were some just basic characteristics that God was trying to impart to Adam to grow up. Um, I don't know if our listeners think about this, but when Adam was created, what did he look like? Was he a 20-year-old?
0: Yeah, yeah. Was he a 30-year-old? Did old? he have a belly button? <laughs> yeah. You know, like. yeah,
1: what did he look like? And 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 then the second question was, I think we assume that the minute Adam was created, he had all this wisdom and knowledge but really, when Adam was created, he was even if he looked manly physically, emotionally, intellectually, socially, he was just a boy.
0: Yeah, and he was and a blank slate. He was. He, was, he, he had. To, he, there was no knowledge that they, the animals weren't even named yet. Right. That's right. That was one of the things that God gave him to do: was to name the animals. That's so right. He, he's literally living in a in a new world. This is like the archetype of what a man is That's right, right here, and God's going to give him some...
1: That's right. He's going he's to grow him up. And I think the interactions that you see taking place in that story, which are profound, is God interacting with this boy, man, Adam, to grow him up. And as he interacts with him, and as Adam ultimately fails... Out of that story, you can see some big-picture characteristics of what it means to be a man in both Adam's failure and then thinking about what the Bible calls the second man, Jesus. He's called the second Adam. You can look at Jesus and say, well, did Jesus uh, uh, live up to these characteristics that God was trying to impart to Adam? And I think by taking Jesus later... But starting first with Adam and what God was trying to do to shape him up, so to speak, uh, you can begin to see key characteristics of what eventually becomes life-giving manhood.
0: So when you... Said that Adam was a boy man. I immediately identified with that because I think I am a boy man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and, and
1: well, all, all men, all men have that journey, Mark. <laughs> so you, you, when you say you have those characteristics, all of us can say amen to
0: you. Well, I remember when I first uh, sat down and spent some time with you, um, you kind of gave me some. Handles to think about masculinity. And even though I tend to consider myself a reflective person, a student of the ancient scriptures, I don't think I'd ever really thought about masculinity in the ways that you were talking about it. And I remember since that first conversation, it was like you gave me these kind of four ideas about what, you know, this life giving masculinity would look like. And that kind of became like a compass for me, a way to kind of navigate every day you know would you mind sharing with everybody some of those you know core direction-setting kind of um, concepts of life-giving manhood
1: yeah what you what you see basically in in Genesis uh, as God begins to interact with Adam the the first thing that stands out is that um, man as a created being was different than the rest of the animal world and uh, Man needed outward coaching, and think about it. All the other animals that were created, every living creature, uh, God didn't coach them.
0: They kind of knew what to do. They
1: they just had they just had a built-in hard drive that allowed them to live by instinct at the moment of their creation. So a bird knew what to do as a bird at the moment of its uh, createdness the same way with every other creature. But when Adam was created, the thing that's so powerful about Genesis, when Adam kind of becomes conscious in the garden, the very first thing he encounters is the head coach. And the head coach begins to instruct him, giving him boundaries on how to live and how to grow up as a man and uh that is a that is a profound concept because what it tells us from the very beginning is that <clears throat> one of the key characteristics of masculinity is being able to listen to coaching and we go our our whole lives as men resisting that as we talked about in a previous podcast we go our whole lives thinking i should just know what to do but but the the, the lie that we tell ourselves, I should know what to do is being an animal, not a man in the image of God. Animals know what to do. But when man goes, I should know what to do, he falls back on a clueless instinct that then leads him into all kinds of problematic behaviors. And so it's huge characteristic of true life-giving masculinity Is you've got to know that I live best as a man when I'm open to coaching and instruction. And of course, as us, as believers, that would turn us to God's word. And that's what Adam was being offered. God basically gave him some general instructions. God didn't micromanage Adam, He didn't tell him every little detail he was supposed to do. What God did with Adam, He does with us today, and that is, he frames the world in which we live, gives us some principles that would unleash and enhance our freedom to choose, and then lets us go. And so Adam was told in the first interaction, Adam, you're free to take any fruit you want in the garden. God didn't say you can only choose, you know, apples or to oranges or whatever. God says, no, the garden's yours. I've given you a free will. Go for it. Develop what you want to develop. So he gave Adam first freedom, but then he said, but there are some boundaries. And the boundary he gave him first, although I'm sure he gave others later, but the boundary he gave him first was, the one thing I don't want you to do is eat of this tree. Mm. Stay away from this tree. If you do that, it'll enhance your freedom and keep you from bondage and death. So just do that. So... so. When we think about masculinity today, we think of it in terms of, you know, being successful, uh, making money, having fame, having certain uh, experiences and stuff like that. But but the way God frames masculinity at the very base level is that a real man listens. Interesting. To instruction.
0: It, it goes back to— Because that's one of the things that men are classically not known for. That's right. Is listening.
1: The, it's just like it's, it's the old joke about the guy driving around town and he's lost. His wife's saying, shouldn't you stop and ask for directions? And men are notorious of saying, no, I just think it's right around the corner. Yep. And so they'll look for another 30 minutes to try to find this place that they don't know where it is. But they think they're supposed to know. And you go, I've done exactly that.
0: I've done it too.
1: And I go, that's a metaphor for, and, and, and this is what I'd want our guys to hear. That's a metaphor for how boys live. What men do is they go, I need to go get instruction. When men are married, they act like boys when they guess at what they think their wife needs. But a real man goes, no, I need to go get instruction. The first move of a real man is always towards instruction. And that's where Adam failed. And yet, when you go down through the history and you meet the second man, Adam 2, which is Jesus, Adam 2 said, I've come to do thy will, O God. When he was out, he was always learning God's word when his first temptation and Satan was approaching him to try to tempt him away from God's will. What did Jesus do? He was constantly quoting God's word. He, he, he was living by, as, as the God-man, he was living by instruction.
0: A yeah, man does not live by bread alone, but on every... Word. Word
1: that proceeds out of the mouth. See, yeah. Jesus knew exactly what. So real... I need
0: to listen rather than. And he had the ability to meet his own need, but he but knew that was the that wasn't necessarily the right thing in every situation. That, that's
1: exactly right. I mean, he it says at at his baptism when he, before he went into the wilderness that after his baptism he was led by the Spirit. Jesus knew as a man trying to grow up, and I don't fully understand. You know. Humanity and deity mixed together. But what we do know is this. There were certain things that Jesus had to learn. And he had to look to his father and to his, to his father's word to learn it so he could conform his life to it. There were a lot of freedoms in Jesus's life, just like there are in ours. But the boundaries, the contours of life had been established by God's word. As that second Adam, he modeled dependency on God. He did. Yeah. He yeah. did. And, and at the end, when he was giving his high priestly prayer at the end of his life, he said, I've, I've done your will, I've fulfilled it, I've followed your word, because that is a mark of manhood, because real men listen to coaching. They know without coaching, they're left like the animals to instinct, and that leads to problems.
0: And I mean, and Jesus was a life-giving man. <clears throat> People were drawn to him because... Everything about the way he lived just brought life to people. Even when he was being uh, harsh, you know, and direct with people, it was giving life. Right? And That's exactly right. I remember, you know, coming to a point in my life when I realized I'm standing for all the right things. I'm mm-hmm. saying all the right things, but I'm not impacting people the way Jesus is impacting people. Aren't drawn to? This life-giving element. Even though I was right, mm-hmm. I could technically be right, but I wasn't impacting people. And so that life-giving aspect, you know, and a lot of it was I was trying to know everything, not listen to what God wanted. For
1: That's me. right. And and one of the marks that of men that we admire uh, are men who have been seasoned enough by God's word that they enter into different circumstances with a perspective that ends up giving them life and others' life around them. That's why the second characteristic that Adam was charged with in the garden was to be responsive to the woman God gave him and to love and protect her. And so how would Adam do that? Well, what you see very clearly there in the garden was God didn't give Eve the word. He gave Adam the word and expecting Adam to share that word with Eve. And that was his way of showing his protection of Eve and loving her correctly. But, of course, we know from the story that when it came a moment of facing uh, temptation, Eve was being rattled by, you know, the, the serpent, and you would have expected this man who had been seasoned with God's word to come in And once again, share that with Eve and say, you know, we need to face this enemy and not take of this forbidden fruit because God has promised us that if we do, we're going to die. But you know what's so interesting is in that moment, the scripture says that Adam was watching Eve be tempted, but rather than act like a man and share the word with his wife or protect her with the word, it basically says Adam just stood there. Passive, and allowed his wife to walk into that trap. And I think what you see is that unleashed a curse that we as men still live under, and that is we still de- deal uh, in our boyishness with social and spiritual passivity, hmm. even to this day. It, 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 we 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 know we need out outward coaching, but instead of accepting outward coaching. We tend to just live by our instinct, and when it comes to important moments that require what I call real wisdom in the social and spiritual spheres, we just sit and watch. That's why you got so many men who, they, in their homes, are passive with their kids in instructing them. They're passive with their wife in sharing spiritual things they may attend church but as far as being actively engaged uh they they just more observe and what they don't understand is that observation kind of tendency that non-involvement kind of tendency other than just to be there that can be traced all the way back to their great great grandfather adam he started that curse of passivity that's been passed on to men And that can only be broken as a man, when a man will say to himself, you know, I once again recognize as I look at Jesus and how he accepted responsibility, then rather than fall back into passivity, if I'm going to step up and be like Jesus, I can't be passive anymore. I've got to reject that passivity and start actively engaging in the social and spiritual spheres of my life. And that is a huge step into manhood. But the step of sitting back and watching, as so often happens in men's lives, that's just the boyishness of Adam being replicated in the 21st century.
0: Yeah, and I know I can feel my wife when I'm in a passive state just lose respect for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like I can feel it happening That's in right. the room. Right? right. And, uh, but I, you know, when you shared that with me, you know, that a life giving man rejects passivity, uh, that became kind of like, okay. I, I mean, there are many times when I literally would be sitting on the couch, my wife was doing something and I knew I needed to get up and help her, or I needed to take action on something. And that was exactly what went through my mind was, okay, are you going to be a real man right now? Mm-hmm. Are you going to sit here and, you know, play your video game on the couch or watch TV? Or are you going to get up and do something? Right. And man, when, when you have that kind of clarity, it literally is like true north. It helps. That's right. So reject passivity. You mentioned another one, accept responsibility, well, which is related. Well, to that. well,
1: that's related to what we just talked about with the word in coaching. Uh The reason we put reject passivity first as a first characteristic is because that's what Adam fell into, passivity. What he should have done is he should have accepted responsibility as God interacted with him, which meant that he would listen to the coaching. And in listening to the coaching, he would obey God's will, and he would love God's woman rightly. But what you see in the story of Adam from a negative perspective is he failed in both of those. Adam demonstrated in his moment of testing, boyhood. If we fast forward and go to the second Adam, Jesus, we see Jesus given the same responsibilities. And what he does is he listens to his father, and then he loves his bride, the church, well with the word. And so you see manhood in Jesus, and you see boyhood in Adam, but they both have the same responsibilities, the difference in the two is the third characteristic you see in Genesis is that when it came to accepting those responsibilities, Adam fell back into passivity because he refused to live courageously. Mm. It, to, to confront the, the, the devil and to confront that situation and say, we're not going to do that, that required courage. And by the way, as you know, courage is kind of the watchword for men all through history not just through the Bible. You know, be courageous. You know, get out there and be courageous. Be brave. JFK wrote Profiles and Courage. That's exactly right? right. I mean, courage is a mark of manhood. Adam, in his moment of demonstrating courage, instead became passive. And in becoming passive, he didn't accept responsibility to follow God's Word and to love God's woman. He became, or he remained, I should say, the boy man. Jesus, on the other hand... In a in a similar life as a man, he stepped up in a very difficult situation, followed God's word, even though he was being tempted by Satan himself. He was constantly being uh, challenged by the 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 civil and religious authorities. You know, there were threats on his life and those kind of things. But he followed God's word because he wanted to love God's church, his bride well. And in moments that became incredibly dangerous all the way to the cross, Jesus lived courageously. I mean, if there's one mark of Jesus down to the, the garden, I mean, right.
0: what you see He's is— sweat and drops of blood. He's struggling so it's hard. It's the
1: ultimate courage, and courage is a mark of manhood. It's a, it's a, it's a characteristic of real manhood, but not just, not just any kind of courage. Courage that steps up to live out what God said to do and to believe it and to trust it, even when the
0: forces of life
1: are against you.
0: So why don't we... Li- I mean, I think every man says, I want to be courageous. That's how I would aspire to be. And I think when we see courageous men, it does give life. It protects communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have entire nations <clears throat> that have risen and fallen, courageous uh, you right. Know, men. Right. Um, so why don't we... You know, so why don't we live into that courage? Okay. Like what keeps us from okay. doing that? That's,
1: and see that is a great question. And I think that that really is the crux of the matter in both stories, the story of Adam and the story of Jesus. And I think again, Genesis does it in a story and you have to look close to see what is it that caused Adam to balk and to go passive. And this to me is the fourth characteristic of manhood, and that is to be a real man you got to be a real man and to follow God. You've got to believe that that's the best way of life, and there's reward in it. You've got to believe that God is going to reward that life. What I think happened in the garden when the temptation was taking place and the enemy was telling not just Eve, but Adam overheard it, that that he could be like God if he took the fruit— and Eve believed that and was deceived by it, and Adam was watching it, and those kind of things. I think at that moment, the reason he didn't step up and follow God's Word is he began to doubt that God really had his best in mind. Mm. He began to think, maybe God really is holding back on me. Mm. Maybe if I watch Eve take the fruit and God didn't kill her, I'll take it and we really will be like God. That there's a greater reward in following the enemy than there is in God's promise that we hadn't seen totally fulfilled yet. So that doubt caused Adam to balk and fall into passivity to allow the transgression and then ultimately his own fall into permanent boyhood in this moment. And I think it's because he didn't believe God had a reward, even though God had told them all along the way, if you follow me, you're going to have this great freedom. One day you'll rule and subdue this earth. That was a promise. There was a reward in it, but you just can't go over and operate on your own. You've got to follow the boundaries that I've given you. He didn't believe that, and the reason he didn't live courageously in that is because he began to doubt that there's reward in it. What I think you see with Jesus is in his great moments of testing—the Scripture even tells us this—in his great moments of testing, when the pressure was really on, you know what Jesus did? He believed, even though he knew he was going to die, he believed on the other side of that death was reward. And Hebrews even tells us that. It says it like this, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Now let's just stop and think about that for a second. What that's saying is, when Jesus knew he was going to the cross, all that that was going to entail, he was going to give up his spirit, God was going to turn his back on him, all the pain... How do you live courageously in that? You have to believe that on the other side of that is glory, the joy of triumph over sin, the ascent to the throne right hand of God to be forever glorified as the great Redeemer. That wasn't given Jesus as the man in the garden except by faith. He believed God had a great reward, and because of that, he could endure the cross. That's what kept him staying a man and not retreating back into boyhood. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because when it comes to our lives, as Mark and Robert, in the day-to-day of life, with all the forces and pressures around us, we are being challenged constantly to step up into a true manhood and out of this boyishness that we can fall into if we don't understand these characteristics. So in the day-to-day of life, to know that I need a coach, I need to look outside myself and see, what are the rules and where are the freedoms? When I understand that, then I'm challenged to reject my passivity and accept that. I've got a woman to love, I've got a work to do, I've got a, a will to obey, so I do that. But while I'm doing that, inevitably, As we all know, we're going to hit bad moments, tough moments, tempting moments, heinous moments, moments where we're going to be exhausted and want to give up. And we're being asked in each one of those moments, which can happen all throughout our lives, we're being asked in those moments to step up and live courageously like Jesus did. And then the question comes, well, why should I live courageously? Because I'm out of money. My wife is mad at me. My kids are being rebellious. My job, they just fired me. How do I keep on in that? Even though God has given me the instruction, how do I live courageously in the midst of that? The final answer is this. You got to believe that on the other side of your faithfulness will be reward. It will be reward. And that will keep you going. And so What men find when they live that way in the day-to-day, in the small things, the small irritations, to the big tragedies, when they live that way courageously, believing God's Word, staying with God's responsibilities, living courageously because they believe a reward, inevitably, here's what they find. They find that reward. And when they find that reward in the little things, they get life, a bigger life for it, and they have the capacity to give life away because of it. They start building this reputation of, I understand God, I know God, God's calling me into this greater manhood, and in it is life for me and life for others. And so my wife begins to feel safe around me because she sees me move through those irritations faithfully my workplace sees me working hard even when things get tough my kids see me reaching out to them and enjoying and 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 loving them and doing things with them even though i'm exhausted as i do those things i do them because i'm learning that always god has a reward in that faithfulness that's how i become a life giver because i really believe the original design of man that was in the garden that Adam failed in, but the ultimate design of man that Jesus lived out, that's for me. And when I live it, I become a life giver to others.
0: Reject passivity, accept responsibility, live courageously, and expect God's greater reward.
1: That's the path to Those are
0: four paths to life-giving Manhood, and they are waiting for you. And we are here uh, with the Better Man podcast and our Better Man 10-week programs to kind of help you experience uh, real manhood from uh, from uh, the ancient texts of the Bible. And we want to encourage you to check that out. Go to our website, betterman.com, and we're going to continue to grow on this path, try to figure out if we can uncover some of the blocks and some of the barriers to living into that uh those four uh, kind of guiding ideas thank you robert and thank you for listening to the better man podcast hey this is mark matlock with the better man podcast i just want to remind you to leave a review and subscribe to the better man podcast on whatever platform you're listening from if you're a church or organization leader interested in bringing a better man 10-week event to your community go to betterman.com for information